Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. Uh, This is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. And each month we dedicate 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, This month our guests are Dr. Warren Simmons and Dr. Jesse Register. Uh, We have uh, Dr. Simmons is the director of the Annenberg Institute for School Reform based at Brown University uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. Welcome, Warren. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Register is the uh, superintendent of schools uh, for the Metro Nashville Public School System uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, welcome to you also, Jesse. Thank you very much. It's good to be join you. Yeah, thank you. Um, and so to our faithful listeners, we want to welcome you back, and thank you for being part of our family Again, this month uh, with over 5,000 listeners, and to our new listeners, we're glad you decided to join us. And um, today we have, uh, as usual, a really uh, special treat playing for you um, with uh, two gentlemen that are are at the front of the the real work in public education and um, invited uh, them here to talk about some of the work that they're doing together uh, in Nashville and and even more broadly, um, some work that uh, is going on um, with the Annenberg Institute. Um, and, and so I want to just get started. Um, again, welcome to you, Warren. Um, as the um, uh, executive director um, of the Annenberg Institute, I remember uh, when you were first uh, uh, received the appointment there. And uh, I don't know, how many years have you been there now? Uh, over 15 years. I'm heading over into my 15 years. year. Wow, time flies. I know if it seems like it was just a couple of years ago for me, I know it must seem really uh, fast for you, too. Time flies, but the challenges remain daunting. Sure, sure, sure. Um, I wanted you to first start out, uh, for some of our listeners who uh, may not recall um, the initial Annenberg Pledge from some years ago, um, but uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about um, the Institute and what you're doing now. I know um, just having uh, been uh, done some work uh, with you before and, and had the great pleasure of uh, working with a number of your talented staff members, um, I see where um, on your website you, you focus in three areas, school transformation, career readiness, and expanding learning time. Um, so if you could tell us just a little bit so people who may not know uh, what it is that you do with Annenberg, um, what is it that the, the program as a large uh, folk, uh, does? Well, I'll give you the abridged edition. You know, first of all, we were established in 1993 with a $50 million grant from Ambassador Annenberg that was part of the $500 million Annenberg Challenge, which at that time was, was one of the largest unprecedented gifts to improve uh, edu- education, and it led to three initiatives in urban initiative, an arts initiative, and a rural initiative. The founding director was Ted Sizer, the founder of the Coalition of Essential Schools. In the early days of the Institute's work, focused on building the capacity of teachers and principals to implement innovative school designs. I arrived in 1998 
the latter day of the uh, Annenberg Challenge initiatives to wrap up the initiative and to produce a document on the lessons learned. And one of the most important lessons learned about the Annenberg Challenge is that it is not simply enough to promote uh, positive and innovative and effective school design, so to focus on teacher and principal development, that in fact districts are the organization, there are over 15,000 of them in this country, that have the responsibility to take school reform to scale. And so that in addition to changing the design of schools, you have to think about the ways in which districts have to reform themselves and their central offices and their policies and supports to take innovative models to scale, meaning in ways that allow all students to meet the standard. And so we've spent, since my arrival here, focused on working with networks of superintendents and school board members uh, about the ways in which they need to change policies and practices to take reform to scale across all the schools uh, in their communities and the three areas that have come to fore at least in the last six years around that work is uh, college readiness. Uh, again, uh, it's, a, it's a national goal set by the Obama administration. Many districts need to understand the kinds of indicators they need to examine to understand where students are and policy changes. Mm -hmm. In addition, if we're going to meet the Common Core, we simply can't do it within the amount of time allotted for teachers and students, and that's a district's responsibility to think about how they change their labor management contracts, the length of the school day and the school year, and the way the time is spent inside of schools so that students and teachers get more time to plan, collaborate, and do uh, rigorous work. And then finally, uh, we continue to focus on helping districts and community members uh, rethink the design of schools as our standards begin to change and the economy begins to change. Mm -hmm. and the world begins to change. So that's the kind of work we do in our primarily our primary audiences for that work are superintendents and school board members, but also community leaders, because I think mm -hmm. most people like Jesse Register, who led superintendents, know reform is not simply a technical matter. It's political, social, and cultural, and that he has the responsibility, supported by people like us, of building the political will necessary to get the resources, both human and fiscal, uh, and the policies in place that will implement reform successfully and close mm -hmm. the achievement gaps that remain stubborn um, over the last two or three decades of our mm -hmm. nation's education reform effort. Sure, sure. And, and very interesting description. I mean, it was very helpful um, to understand because there, you know, when you read that the Annenberg Institute is a is is a policy. Um, I think I think it's stated that it's a, it's a policy um, a research organization um, as well. Is that you know one of the things in the the academy we're often talking about is how do we bridge um, the two policy and practice and, and what sounds like if 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 I may interpret is that it it is um you're saying that we are about the business of policy for practice. So you right, I'd talk say well, yeah I'd say we, we would call ourselves a practice centered policy group, which is to say that the research that we do and the policy analysis we do are informed by the problems of practice presented to us by superintendents, school board members, union leaders, grassroots activists, and reform partners. And so that's not to say that disciplines like social sciences aren't, aren't important. It's just that we use the social sciences as tools to address problems and questions generated by people like Dr. Jesse Register and his colleagues. Sure, sure. 
Sure, and and one of the things uh, you you make a very interesting point about um, taking a reform to scale, and I, I want to hear um, uh, Dr. Register if you could say a few words about some of the the things that you're doing in Nashville specifically around uh, some of these policy um, initiatives as well. Um, is that I've had um, Dr. James Comer on the show earlier this year and um, a few others um, that have talked about um, the challenges of, you know, we know in some places where individual schools are doing excellent work and, and you might have one or two or three high schools in large districts and the real issue becomes making, when we say going to scale, making all high schools work efficiently and effectively. So um, can, you, can you talk to us a little bit also about the work that you are doing and how exactly you are engaged with the Annenberg Institute? Uh, yes, I certainly will. First, first, let me provide just a touch of background. I actually sure. started uh, working, a uh, working relationship, a uh, uh, collaboration with uh, Annenberg Institute and with Warren uh, when I was in another district. That was uh, uh, Chattanooga Hamilton County Schools here in Tennessee also. And uh, back to the days of high school reform, uh, the uh, uh, Schools for a New Society initiative that was uh, coordinated by or, or, or supported by the Carnegie Corporation of New York. But another, and another key partner in that effort was the Public Education Foundation in Chattanooga, which was a, a great partner and, and a great collaborator for the 10 years I was superintendent there after the merger. And Annenberg became, and Warren Simmons became critical friends during that period of time. So, uh, so when I came to Nashville, uh, we had we had quite a uh, quite a number of challenges. Uh, I came in 2009. Metropolitan Nashville was a school system that was close to uh, state takeover in many respects. It had been uh, as a low-performing urban school system under no child left behind accountability standards. Uh, and so, uh, so we had a lot of work to do in a hurry in a lot of areas. And we established a new strategic plan at that time. Uh, that was that was developed that had nine areas of major reform. We call that work uh, uh, MNPS Achieves, that first strategic plan. And I invited uh, a, a number of partners, uh, consultants and others, but, but one key partner in the effort to turn around a large urban school system was the Annenberg Institute. And ask, uh, I asked uh, Annenberg and, and Dr. Simmons to to be our critical friend and partner, and to uh, to really help us with the taking the reform effort to scale, as you as you say, uh, mm -hmm. that was uh, that was a number of years ago now, and and uh, uh, they they helped in a number of ways. They helped uh, pull together the plan for the the strategic plan, but but to uh, do an evaluation, we we ask them to uh, do a be a critical friend friend and evaluate. The progress over the five-year period of time that that uh, reform effort was going, and, and they submitted uh, great uh, constructive feedback and input into what we were doing. We started a, a number of initiatives. There were many things that were going on at that time. Um, one one uh, that I particularly valued as a superintendent, uh, 
this, this is a pretty lonely job. And even mm -hmm. though we have colleagues around, uh, you get so immersed in the work in your own district, particularly one like this. We're, we're a district of um, 83,000 students. We're very diverse, no majority race. 100, 135 languages spoken in the system, high uh, uh, percentage of free and reduced price lunch children, so quite a number of challenges, and and it's it's pretty lonesome work. Uh, and uh, one of the one of the uh, uh, suggestions that Annenberg made and helped me pull together was a national advisory panel, and uh, I dare say that I have. Uh, one of the most prestigious national advisory panels in the country, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, that you know members of this include uh, now Warren Simmons, but also people like Andy Hargreaves from Boston College and Joe Johnson from California, and uh, Tom Paisant, former superintendent in Boston, and Carrie Liana mm -hmm. from the University of Pittsburgh, and. Uh, we have a, 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 an annual convening, and they keep up, and Annenberg coordinates this workforce, and actually, and Marla Uselli with the uh, American sure, uh, Federation sure. of Teachers uh, is, is another panelist, uh, and, and Annenberg pulled this group together for me, and they, they come for an annual convening uh, and, to, and to react to uh, the reform efforts that are going on in our district and the work that's going on in our district. And I, I dare say it's been a tremendous assist to me. That's just one of the ways that, that Annenberg's helping me uh, at this time. Uh, I think the real challenge in school systems like this is I'll, I'll use, instead of saying going to scale, let's, let's say institutionalization of the mm -hmm. reform efforts. And, uh, uh, and, and one that we are very proud of here is our high school reform effort. Uh, the Academies of Nashville is what we've titled it. We have 17 high schools. Uh, we have 12 big zoned high schools that are wall-to-wall -wall academies now. And, and, and at this point in time, our academies, the small learning communities, theme-based academies, uh, are wall-to-wall -wall and institutionalized. Uh, and, uh, and Annenberg's been uh, a great critical friend and partner as we've developed that program with other partners, uh, uh, with other partners in the business community and and the national education community. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting that you you started talking about your high schools um, and what you're doing there, and I do want to come back to. Um, some of the the programs that Annenberg is also working with you on in, in their okay. areas, um, but one of one of the really interesting components that I just saw recently was where the Washington Post has um, named three of your schools in Nashville among the nation's most challenging, and I was just wondering. You know what? Not to put too much emphasis on what the Washington Post says and doesn't make it so, but if you had to guess what it is, not necessarily about those three, but um, what are the challenges that you're facing that would 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 have them or any other group look and say these are among the most challenging in the country? Um, what what would you say is happening that would would put you in that uh, category? Well, I, th I think the uh, Washington Post article was uh, focused on uh, uh, academics, 
uh, challenging academic programs and uh, two of the three high schools are academic high schools, uh, Martin Luther King High School and Hume Fogg High School and they're uh, typically considered among the highest performing or the best high schools in the country when the, the lists of 100 top high schools comes out. The third one is a zone school, Hillsborough High School, uh, and uh, it has an international baccalaureate program. We also have a partnership with uh, Vanderbilt University Medical Center, uh, a science program that's just outstanding, uh, and, and uh, uh, an AP curriculum that's very strong. Uh, a large number of students in these high schools uh, uh, graduate and uh, get uh, get get good good college uh, scholarships, uh, high level of participation in in college going rates for these schools. Uh, so so the, that particular article was about was about that. I, I think I think you know I think the model that we've chosen for our high schools is one that serves urban school systems and diverse school systems very well. Uh, and that's to establish small learning communities or to personalize instruction uh, in big uh, high schools that can become, that can be very impersonal. And, and one of the things that struck me when I came here was that our high schools were that. Uh, our zoned high schools were big and impersonal and, and not, not, uh, not good places to be. The culture, the climate in the schools was not, uh, not very inviting. And, and, and so we've tried to cultivate and build good adult-student relationships in these schools district-wide and to, and to take that reform uh, uh, through all of our high schools, and, and we've been successful with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, I understand. Um, and, and one of the areas that uh, is not unusual to hear uh, about, in, in certainly in urban areas, the challenges with high schools, um, what what would you say some of your your biggest challenges are, um, if you might, uh, for your high schools? Well, uh, I think uh, uh, I think what I was referring to the personalization is really important. But it's engaging it's engaging students. It's raising graduation rates. It's lowering dropout rates, uh, and uh, uh, and 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 really by all of those performance measures that we're that we're held accountable for is raising those standards. We uh, attendance. Uh, we we're an urban system. Uh, our attendance rate at the high school level now is above 93% district wide, mm -hmm. uh, which is significantly higher than what you'll find in a lot of places. Our graduation rate uh, has risen uh, uh, very rapidly over the last uh, six six or seven years. We're uh, at uh, seventy nine percent graduation right now, but that's in just four years in a summer that's not a five year graduation rate. We graduate many other students with a fifth year uh, a lot of our English learners or a lot of our overaged undercredited students are graduating also so mm -hmm. uh, so we've we've uh, we found a great deal of success in in looking at a, at achievement there and we we attribute that to developing good partnerships we we uh, we have uh, big partnerships with our business community. We have over 250 business partners who try who work with our faculties to make the uh, instructional programs uh, relevant uh, and motivational for our students for what our students want. We try to 
develop a, a, a academies in each of our schools that are, are market-driven, if you will, based on what the students want and what the community would like to see in each of those schools. So it's been a good process. And Annenberg's been a partner with that work all along. I want to go back to a question you raised earlier and say this. Uh, a challenge in a system like this is having a, an effect, a positive impact on 6,000 classrooms. When you talk about going to scale, that's about how many classrooms we have. And we can spin our wheels and we can come up with great plans, and, and, but, but the real uh, the real difference is when we can make a change in what's happening in 6,000 classrooms. Absolutely. And uh, for those of us of uh, you that may have just joined us, you've reached the Perkins platform, um, and we're talking with uh, uh, Dr. Warren Simmons, who is the executive director of the Annenberg Institute for School Reform, Dr. Jesse Register, who is a superintendent in um, Metro Nashville Public Schools, and we're talking about the policy work that's necessary for uh, transforming practice, and which leads me uh, uh, as a great segue, uh, uh, Dr. Register, you were just talking about um, the, the classrooms, and by extension, we have great ideas and trying to uh, put those um, great ideas to work in classrooms. Um, and I know the specific challenges of doing that, and, and the number you just mentioned is a, is a, is a large um, hurdle. Um, which brings me to uh, I want what, something I wanted to hear, um, Warren, if, if you would talk a little bit about is your position in the, in the Institute about expanding learning time. Um, I know for a long time, and, and, and you remember um, I used to be the president of the New Haven uh, Board of Education here in Connecticut, and one of the things that uh, school districts are often faced in terms of the challenge of, you know, you, you expand the, the school day, that costs money, and it costs a lot of money to expand the school day. Um, and so you have to look for creative ways to recapture time within the day you already have for the most part. But just to give you an idea, just in a small district like New Haven, we did the analysis. Um, talking about uh, an initiative that was undertaken by one of our local charter schools, and and we we discussed at a board meeting, um, you know, because a lot of people would say, well, why don't you just do what they do? And one of the things that it, it really came down to was what it would really cost to accomplish. Like you can do some things in one school that you can't do system-wide if you don't have the funds. And so just, just a small example of that in terms of expanding the learning time, um, that when we did the analysis of what was happening in one school, uh, to bring that to the whole district, not including any other costs that were associated with, say, reducing class size, um, building new buildings, but just personnel costs for one initiative um, would have cost an additional $18 million in a district with only 20,000 um, kids. And, and that's, that's big. That's, you, know, you can't just pull that money from nowhere. So I'd like to hear what are some of the policy ways that you are recommending and that you are um, proponents for um, in, in your institute about expanding learning time. Well, we are in, in a partnership with the Ford Foundation, what they call the More and Better Learning Time Initiative, and we're working with several districts. And this is where the importance of the political side of this work uh, comes in. Mm -hmm. that 
you know, we can't have a situation where 44 states and many of the districts in those states uh, adopt a set of high standards and a set of goals around college and career readiness, but they're unwilling to make the investments necessary to provide schools and the vast majority of students and communities the resources. So some of the problem is not the uh, additional investments, but the reallocation of, of existing resources. And so mm-hmm. if you look at models like generation schools or linked learning or the MET here in Providence, many of these models are actually extending the school day. For instance, generation schools has an eight-hour day, or in the traditional schools have six-hour day. And they're doing it by reallocating uh, the resources and working with the district to find the money in, in their existing budgets while making the case. But it's, it's also the case that another way of, of building more time is to uh, focus on core subject areas, to reduce class sizes, to reduce teacher loads within the context of the existing day, but also to build in more learning time uh, outside of school. And that's where the kinds of partnerships and career pathways that are part of the high school academy approach mm-hmm. and part of the linked learning and the generation schools network approach is another way of extending time without increasing dollars per se within the school district's budget, mm-hmm. but relying on parallel supports provided by the business community, the higher education community, the arts community, the faith community, uh, for, for that matter. But I think that one of the reasons why community engagement is important, and by this the grass tops, grassroots, but also labor, is that we can't continue to kid ourselves that we can do more with less. And we are really talking about less when you look at the impact of the economic recession on on uh, district budgets. And so while it's admirable that we've adopted standards and it's admirable that through Race to the Top and the other kinds of short-term investments, we've been able to keep districts in this country afloat, it really is time for us to take a look at the state funding formulas, uh, the district funding formulas, uh, as was done recently in California, for instance, and um, and put our money where our goals are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and, um, uh, Dr. Simmons, if you, I mean, uh, Register, if you could um, tell us a little bit about how that actually plays itself out um, in your district, um, are you currently looking at those same initiatives uh, to expand learning time? Uh, yes, we've, we've uh, actually attempted to do a couple of things, and, and we've had some success with some and not with others. We, uh, we have some, a set of uh, schools that were identified as uh, lower-performing schools some years ago, uh, that are identified now as enhanced options, uh, and there are, there are about 10 of those uh, that are challenge schools, and, and they actually attend an extra 45 minutes a day uh, to, uh, for the school year. And in addition to that, our school day for all schools is 30 minutes longer. Our, our, our instructional day is seven hours. Uh, so, so we have expanded that way. Uh, we've looked at and, and implemented two years ago a balanced calendar uh, for a two-week fall uh, intercession and a two-week spring intercession uh, to uh, allow students and, uh, that, that needed extra time to have extra time for remediation or for enrichment or uh, uh, other programs during those times. We had to back off that one a little bit, though, because mm-hmm. of, we were using Title I money to fund that. and 
and our Title One budget has gone down. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so we really couldn't afford to do that at the scale uh, that we would like to have had. Uh, I, uh, I personally would like to add two weeks to the teacher calendar uh, and, an, and, an, and a number of days to the student calendar, but it costs us about two million dollars a day uh, when schools in mm-hmm. session to operate. Sure. So sure. that uh, is similar to the number used for New Haven. Uh, Ten days for me is a twenty million dollar price tag. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, and and it's uh, it's no small um, budget item to overcome. Um, but also, just thinking about um, kind of the the creative options that are available to us about expanding learning time, and I know a number of districts that I've have been engaged with in the past and currently engaged are are employing. Uh, instructional strategies aimed at reducing the amount of time between um, the the allocated start time for class and actually getting uh, students on task, which I, I imagine is is a really big piece of it um, um, that that you have to consider. And also, yeah. schools and school districts are enhancing the use of technology as a way to greater differentiate instruction and to accelerate it, but also to give teachers, you know, while students are engaged through technology, more time for for planning, for inquiry, and uh, analyzing data, for instance. Uh, yes, uh, and uh, we we do things. Uh, we we are we are very we we are big believers in uh, social and emotional learning. Uh, and are, are actually are a part of a, an, an initiative of, with seven cities in the country, uh, a CASEL initiative, Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, and, and have partnered uh, another good partnership with Annenberg to look at that also. And, and one, just one simple strategy that we're using is that we uh, want our students to have breakfast in their classrooms uh, and for that to be a startup time in the morning uh, when teachers can have a morning meeting and have have students in in their classrooms uh, uh, in, in in a social and and uh, social setting rather than just uh, funneling them through a cafeteria in the mornings and it does make a good use of time to do that. Sure, sure. Well, I really appreciate it, and uh, I want to just take a moment to thank both of you. We're out of time, and as I told you before we started, this uh, 30 minutes goes really quickly, but I want to thank you, and I'm sure uh, you'll probably get some calls uh, um, either asking to come in and see what you're doing and or at inviting you in. Uh, in the case of Annenberg, to see how you might be engaged with some some other partners. And so I want to thank both of you for agreeing to share part of your day with us. And so to the listeners, thank you, too, uh, for tuning in this month. And so just asking you uh, to remember to join us um, on May 14th at 2 p.m. And so until next time, go well, stay well. Thank you for the opportunity. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.